I will not die. Instead, I will live to tell what the Lord has done. The Lord has punished me severely, but he did not let me die. Open for me the gates where the righteous enter, and I will go in and thank the Lord. These gates lead to the presence of the Lord, and the godly enter there. I thank you for answering my prayer and giving me victory. Now, that's a passage out of Psalm 118, and I encourage you to read the entire psalm. But those words mean so very much to me. It reminds me and encourages me to live and not die. To choose life. It reminds me and encourages me to trust in God. Even when things are not going as I planned. It reminds me and encourages me to choose the pathway of righteousness. Now listen up. And to recognize the disciplinary hand of God, which sometimes comes on our lives, all of us who are children of God. And when that happens, to be corrected by the disciplinary hand of God and say, Lord, I hear you. You have my attention. And as a result, I choose righteousness. It encourages me to thank my God for every victory. And it reminds me that God does indeed give victory to those who trust him. This morning, I want to speak to you on the subject of encouragement. I want to encourage you. This message is all about encouragement. I, I want to take the word of God and encourage you with the word of God so that when you walk out of this place today, you'll have more hope. You'll have more courage. By the way, that's what encouragement does. It puts courage in people. All you have to do is turn it around. Encourage, put courage in. I want you to walk out of here with more hope, more courage, and more faith than you had when you walked in this place. I, I wonder, is there anybody who will just go ahead and admit it right now? You could use a word of encouragement right now. Hold your hand up. Yeah. Yeah, so this is all about encouragement. Now, every now and then I'll run into somebody who, who has listened to too many voices and they've established a mindset that does not line up with the Bible. And they'll think, oh, I, I want to hear the word of God. I, I want to hear the word. Uh, I don't want to just go to a message where all I do is just get encouraged. Well, you may not really understand your Bible. Because encouragement is huge. Uh, listen, listen to this. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 22, Paul said, I have sent him. Now, he's talking about Tychicus who was a fellow companion. He said, I have sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we're doing and to encourage you. And what's amazing is Paul 
says the exact same thing to the Colossian church. He said, I have sent him, again, this is Tychicus, I have sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we are doing and to encourage you. That God was literally sending messengers to the church to encourage them. And what Paul says to the Thessalonian church may explain that to us. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 2 and 3. And we sent Timothy to visit you. He is our brother and God's co-worker in proclaiming the good news of Christ. We sent him to strengthen you, to encourage you in your faith. Now, why? Verse 3, and to keep you from being shaken by the troubles you were going through, but you know that we are destined for such troubles. Now, I know that part doesn't sound very encouraging, but the fact is we are destined for trouble. We're born in a world full of trouble. Is there anybody here who's facing some challenges and troubles right now? Wave at me. Yeah, it's part of life. You're not unique. You're not unusual. And what Paul says is we sent Timothy to you to encourage you because we know you're going through some stuff. And so it is extremely biblical, the idea of having a pastor who not only teaches the word, and I love to do that. Uh, I don't do it as well as Derek, but I love to teach. And if you're not coming on Wednesday night, shame on you. You're missing out on a blessing. You'll be here on Wednesday night and you'll hear some great teaching. But I think, yeah, go ahead. Come on. But a pastor needs to do more than just teach the word. He needs to encourage people who are going through difficult times so that they will keep the faith and be strong in the faith no matter what they're going through. So I, I want to give you some pointers about encouragement. And here's the first point. Stop hanging around people who are discouraging you. I'm, I'm sorry. Go to those people, minister to them, uh, love them, pray for them, but don't hang around people who are discouraging you. If you're married to that person, come see me. We'll, <laughs> we'll try to figure something out. But don't hang around people who are discouraging you. Don't hang around people who are always putting you down. And here's point number two. Don't be a person who does that. Make sure that you are not discouraging and tearing others down. And it's easier than you might Thing. The Bible literally tells us, I mean, this is a mandate from the Lord. Ephesians 4.29, it says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good for the use of edifying. By the way, that word edifying many times is interpreted in the Bible as encouragement or encouraging. But let your words be good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Now, that passage of scripture tells us that our words... With one another should be good, kind, gracious, uh, healthy, godly words. No corrupt communication. You say, but every now and then. No, no corrupt communication to come out of your mouth. But that which is good for the use of edifying and an encouraging and ministering grace. Uh, the one passage in the Bible says that love covers a multitude of sins. I want to tell you, love and grace 
can really overlook some faults. And we need that in the kingdom of God. We desperately need that. So what I want to say to you this morning is this. Be, be real careful that you hang around people who build you up. People who strengthen you. People who speak life into you. People who edify you. Here, it's easy to remember. Stay around people who edify you, not people who crucify you. And I got to tell you, a lot of people who are in the business of crucifying people don't even know it. They, they, they don't mean to do it. They don't even want to do it, but they're not submitted and surrendered to the Holy Spirit. And so they find themselves crucifying people. And, and you got to be careful right there. Edification, crucifying. Uh, let me, uh, the word crucify is a strong word. So let me lessen it a little bit. Don't hang around people who are nitpickers. How many of you know what a nitpicker is? Yeah. Come on, nobody in this section knows what a nitpicker is? I don't know what it is about some people, but they don't feel like they... They're, they're fulfilling their responsibility if they can't find something wrong with you or me. No matter how you dress, something's wrong. Your hair is not exactly right. And, and, and you got to be careful that you don't get under the influence of nitpickers. This could be striking a nerve. I don't know. <laughs> I came to church, this church, some years ago, and an individual walked up to me, and this is what they said. I mean, really. This is a lesson in what not to say to your pastor before he preaches. <laughs> this person walked up to me and said, Pastor, did you even consider... I, you're going to think I'm making this up. Did you even consider polishing your shoes before you came to church? And I went, no, actually I didn't, but my shoes were annoying that person. And it took me a while to digest that, but then I got to thinking, this is a fault finder. And if that's the only thing he can find wrong with me, this is a glory hallelujah day. You know how you're in those exchanges and two days later you think about what you should have said? <laughs> I thought about what I should have said. I should have said, no, I didn't think about polishing my shoes, but next Sunday I'll let you do it. <laughs> but then that would be wrong, wouldn't it? So a pastor over in Alabama, I heard him tell the story. And, and he said he had a nitpicker in the church. And he said every Sunday this guy would walk up to him. And he said the guy would look at him and straighten his collar and straighten his tie. And he said he would pick lint off his clothing. 
said sometimes he'd spin him around, to, you know, like, like a mama checking their little boy before he goes out. And he said it just annoyed him. And he said one day he felt like he had some revelation from the Lord. So what he did is he, he took a, a little spool, a little, I guess that's what you call them. What do you sowers, uh, you people, it's a spool, a little spool of white thread. And what he did is he, he, he ran it through a needle and he dropped it down in his coat pocket. And then he took the needle and pierced his coat pocket and pulled that little thread out and then cut it off where it was just a little thread hanging right there. Just a little thread hanging right there. And he said he couldn't wait to get to church. He, he, he made a beeline to the nitpicker and said when he got to the nitpicker, said he looked at him and said he, the guy looked at him and like, oh, he was so excited. By the way, nitpickers want to find fault. They're not happy if they can't find fault. And he said that nitpicker reached up there and he grabbed that little speck. And when he pulled it, it just kept on coming. And the pastor said, that's when I reached in my pocket and pulled it out and said, you can have the whole spool if you want it. (laughs) That ended the nitpicking. (laughs) Hang around people who know how to take the love of God and the word of God and the grace of God and build you up and edify you and encourage you. And when you're making mistakes, they don't beat you up. They lift you up. And this could be a news flash to somebody here today, but we don't ever criticize a person to the next level. We love them with the grace and the truth of God to the next level. We love them up. We don't criticize them up. Maybe we need a paradigm shift. All of us. But anyway, back to the encouragement part. Uh, Somebody sent me a video. If you want to send me videos or clips that are encouraging, bring them on. If not, I'll see you on Sunday morning. (laughs) This was sent to me. Maybe you've seen it, but I guarantee you, you'll enjoy seeing it again. Let's, Let's roll the clip. There's a picture in the museum in the Louvre, I don't know how many of you have been there. The picture is called Checkmate. The devil's sitting on this side. There's a chessboard, and there's a guy sitting on the other side. And the guy sitting on the other side has his hand on his head like this. And he's like in desperation. And as they were taking a tour through the Louvre, there had been a group of, 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 of athletes and particularly ch- world champions that were being given a special tour. And in the tour was the world chess champion. And he comes walking by the picture. And the guy's explaining to him, this is a picture of an artist rendering of somebody who lost a battle with the devil. And so the group moved on to the next picture to see something else. But the world chess champion, he stayed there. And he just kept looking at the picture. And soon they noticed that he was not with the group. And so the tour guide came back and said, we've, we've, we've moved on, are you, are you coming? He said, well, I've been looking at this picture. And the guy said, yeah, he said, it's, it's called Checkmate. The devil's laughing, the man's lost. And he said, yeah, he said, I've been noticing that. He said, but while I've been standing here, I've kept looking at the picture. 
I'm, I've, I've got I got a problem. And he said, well, what, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, I'm a I'm a world champion chess player. And I spend my life playing chess. And normal people don't always see what a world champion chess player sees. He says, but when y'all walked off, I looked at the devil laughing and I looked at the man in desperation. But he said, I noticed something on the chessboard. He said, either they're going to have to change the painting or they're going to have to change the name. And the guy said, well, why are they going to have to do that? He said, well, you know, I'm a world champion chess player. And he said, when I observed the board, I found out the king still has one more move. I come to tell somebody today, you believe you've been cornered. You believe everything is gone and nothing has got any hope. But the king still has one more move. In the fullness of time, God sent his son. I dare you to declare it. The king has one more move. He has one more move over my finances. He has one more move over my marriage. He has one more move over my kids. It is not over. He has one more move. I, I'm a little bit skeptical of just about anything I see on the Internet. Maybe we should be skeptical of everything. But I thought, I wonder if that's a true story. So I started digging. And I don't know if you ever do this or not, but, man, I was digging and I'd find one article and I'd go to something else and kept going back. Did you know that that story, the one more move story, was first recounted in print on page 60 of volume 3, number 7 and 8 of the Columbia Chess Chronicle, dated August 18th, 1888. The article was entitled, The Anecdote of Morphy. Now, Paul Charles Morphy was the greatest chess player in the world in that day, and some think maybe the greatest chess player of all times. It was Morphy who said, I can sit down in the young man's seat, and I'll let any of you sit down in the devil's seat, and I'll take that exact same board, and I will win. He said, that game is not over. Well, some of the chess players said, Morphe, not even you, with all your talent and all of your ability and all your skill, not even you can win that game. So this is what he said. He said, okay. He said, let's set a board up and let's put all the positions in the exact same place they are in the painting. And he said, let's see what happens. Uh, this was uh, this is a quote from the Chronicle back in 1888. A board was arranged and the rest of the company gathered round it, deeply interested in the result. To the surprise of everyone, victory was snatched from the devil and the young man saved. I love that. But you know, when I saw this and I did the research, and, and by the way, it's been told so many times through the years and, and some of the details get changed, but the story is true. 
But what I got to thinking, as I started thinking about the Bible and all the studying I'd done in the Bible through the years, isn't that what the Bible's all about? That when the devil backs you in a corner, when the devil says you've lost, when the devil says there's no hope, you can't make it this time, it's all over. When the devil says checkmate, isn't that the whole story of the Bible that God still has one more move? I mean, you can go all the way through the Bible. I found so many, it would take us hours uh, to, to listen to all of them. But let's take Joseph. Joseph woke up one morning and he started saying, I had a dream. And he dreamed about being a leader. He dreamed about sitting in a supreme seat. He, he dreamed about saving people and being kind of a savior in that day. That was what he dreamed. You can read the story for yourself, but I'm telling you that he started sharing that dream and everything that possibly could go wrong went wrong. His brothers turned against him. Some of them wanted to kill him, but they didn't kill him. They sold him into slavery. And then uh, the household he was sold to, there was an adulterous woman in that household that tried to seduce him and he would not see to it. He wouldn't have it. And so she lied, and then he ends up in prison. He had this dream of being great, but his family turned against him. He was sold into slavery. He was lied about. He ended up in prison. You know the story, don't you? But then God stepped in, and he went from the prison to the palace. And not only did he save one nation, he saved two nations. The king had one more move. I'm asking you this morning. About that dream that God gave you a long time ago. And your life has gone in the opposite direction, it appears. Have you given up on that dream? That thing God called you to do. That thing God put in your heart for you to do. I'm encouraging you right now to realize that even now, it may seem too late. You may seem like you've gone too far in the wrong direction, but the king has one more move. The king has one more move. You can just march all the way through the Bible. It's everywhere. I've always loved the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three Hebrew children that were told they had to bow down and worship the image of an earthly king. They said, absolutely not. They said, you'll be thrown into the fiery furnace if you don't. And they said, we don't care. We're not budging. They felt like God was going to use them in a mighty way. And here they are facing a fiery furnace. Checkmate. It's over. You're about to die. But they were willing to die. They throw them in the fiery furnace. And the onlookers, when they looked into the flames, they said, we don't see three. We see four. We see four men walking. And one of them looks like the son of God. Wow. The king had one more move, didn't he? You begin to get the idea when you read scripture that sometimes when you're in the worst place you could possibly be, that's when God shows up. I heard somebody say years ago, it's a pretty famous quote, man's extremity is God's opportunity. That when we get to the end of ourselves, we're at the beginning of God. And you can just march. How about Daniel in the lion's den? Man, I love that. He, they said he couldn't pray. 
They were actually trying to trap him, and they said he couldn't pray for some 30 days, I think it was. And anybody that prayed to anybody else other than the earthly king would get thrown into the lion's den. The king actually liked him, but it was a decree, so Daniel got thrown in the lion's den. Go back and read the book of Daniel. It's one, it's one of the most beautiful stories. The king shows up early the next morning and says, Daniel, did your God deliver you? Daniel said, yeah, he did. This is what he said. He sent his angels to shut the mouths of the lions. And I'm doing good. And uh, uh, I didn't do justice. Go back and read the story. That's, that's, a, that, that's a, a great story. How about, how about this? You've lived a life of sin. You've rebelled. Your whole life's been wasted. Your whole life's been ruined. You've been taken to court. You've been convicted. And you've been sentenced to death. And they're executing you. And you have only moments to live. I've just described the thief on the cross. Can you, can you even imagine a situation being more hopeless than that? He's nailed to a cross. But just to his side. There was the king. The devil said checkmate. The devil said it's over. The devil said I'm taking you out. But Jesus said I'm taking you to glory. Today, you will be with me in paradise. I'm telling you, if there's anything this Bible shouts, it shouts hope for losers. It shouts hope for failures. It tells us that when you have messed up beyond what you thought you had the ability to mess up, the king still has one more move. I'm encouraging you today. I'm encouraging you to believe. I'm encouraging, I'm encouraging you to trust God. I'm encouraging you to believe that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords has one more move in your life. And he's waiting for you to say yes. Jesus and his disciples were approaching a little town. The name of the town was Nain. And as they were walking into town, there was a funeral procession coming out of town. And they were carrying a young man to his resting place. And Jesus noticed the woman, his mother, was weeping. And the Bible says that she was a widow. Her husband had died. And this was her only son. And Jesus had compassion. And Jesus said, all right, everybody stop. It actually says that. He says, stop. Stop what you're doing. Wait. And Jesus walks over. I tell you, when we get to heaven, I, I hope there's a video room in heaven. <laughs> I want to be, be able to go to heaven and, and to spend a little time in the video room and where I can pull out the video, put it in, and watch it in as it happened. Wouldn't that be great? So, so Jesus walks over to the stretcher and he puts his hand on this young man and he says, get up. And the Bible says he 
Go back and read it in different translations. But he said, he got up and started talking to Jesus. Now, I, that's beautiful, but I want to see how those, how everybody else responded to that. That's what I want to see. And then the Bible says Jesus gave him to his mother. It was a hopeless situation. Can you imagine what she was facing in her future? But God had another plan. And, and, and here's something that you may want to ask yourself. Why in the world would all these stories be given to us in the word of God if they were not put there to encourage us, to remind us of how powerful our God is, to remind us that he can do anything according to his will, Story after story after story in the Bible, people found themselves in absolute hopelessness and despair. But the king had one more move. And he stepped in. And that's what God wants out of us. I, I can't go through a list of things in the scripture without telling you about this one. Jesus had been tortured. The Bible says worse than any other man. He'd been tortured. He'd been nailed to a cross. A spear had pierced his side. They took him down from that cross. They put him in a tomb. (laughs) And they seal that tomb with a Roman seal. Guards were there. Now, friends, if that's not checkmate, I don't know what is. That's what the devil thought. It's over. He's dead. Hope is lost. Now, if you have any doubt about that, when you get to heaven, you talk to some of his disciples. They were in despair. It was over. But friends, the king had one more move. I still love that old song. I, I, I know I'm an old man and I know I love old songs. I love these new songs. I like rattle. But... But I love those old songs. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose. He arose. Hallelujah. Christ arose. I'm telling you the king had one more move. And at every turn in the Bible when people had lost all hope then God shows up. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. Let me share a couple of scriptures with you. If you don't write anything down that I've given you today, write these two down. Luke one thirty seven. For with God, nothing will be what? See, do we just read the word or do we believe the word? The question has been asked, do we really believe that what we believe is really real? For with God, nothing will be impossible. Mark 9, 23 says, all things are possible to him who, what? So when we believe, it connects us with the person who can do anything. He can do the impossible. The impossible becomes possible with God. And when we believe it connects us with him. I'm telling you, today can be a fresh start for you. Oh, goodness. I don't know what you're going through right now, but I can tell you most of us are going through something. But just know this. The king has one more move. 
And he'll move in your life if you'll trust him and believe in him. I've got to share this quote. All things are possible with God, not because we sing the song, not because we pray the right words, and not because we believe hard enough. All things are possible with God because it's his very character. You see, whether you believe me today, whether you believe the word today, or whether you believe any of this today does not change a thing. God can do the impossible. It doesn't diminish him one bit. But I can tell you this, that when you come to the place in your life, and I come to the place in my life where we say, I choose to believe. I'll put my faith and trust in him. And when you and I choose to believe in an all things are possible God, fasten your seatbelts. It gets good. Be encouraged today. There is hope. I don't know what you're going through. Say it again. But there's hope. And I encourage you. Let's pray. As we pray today. I've been asking in faith. That God would. Would do an infusion today that hope would, would sink deep into your heart. It could be sickness. It could be a family member who's lost. It could be a divided family. It could be a marriage on the rocks. But I'm telling you, no matter how bad it looks, there's still hope. No matter how bad it looks, take courage. No matter how bad it looks, have faith. I don't think I'll ever get tired of saying that. The king has one more move in your life. And I believe with all my heart. He's just waiting for us to believe that. All things are possible for those who will believe. Father, I pray right now that you'll bless. I pray, Lord, that today will be a paradigm shift day. I pray, Father, that you will bless that many decisions will be made. Most of all, I pray, Lord, that Christians will be encouraged. That we won't settle in. To a place where you're not moving and doing great and mighty things. Father, if there's someone here today who's never fully trusted you as their Lord and Savior. Then Lord, I pray that as your Holy Spirit draws them. That they will say this prayer. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Lord Jesus, be my Savior. Lord Jesus, I give my life to you. And Lord, I thank you that your word says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We pray now in these next few moments, Lord, that you'll bless the invitation and even the praise time before we walk out of this building. And I pray, Lord, that we'll walk out with more hope, more courage, more faith than ever before. 
in Jesus' name.